0: Hey, Rarecast listeners. I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders. How to Become Empowered Data Owners and Stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY Workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Antisense Pioneer and Ionis Pharmaceuticals Executive Chairman Stanley Crook has launched a nonprofit to design and deliver custom RNA targeted therapies free of charge for individual patients with ultra rare diseases. The organization N. Loram Foundation will leverage Ionis' technology platform to speed the discovery and development of customized antisense oligonucleotide therapies. We spoke to Crook about the genesis of Enlarm, how it'll determine whether to work with an individual patient or researcher, and the challenge for regularizing the process of designing NF1 therapies for ultra-rare disease patients. Stan, thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. We're going to talk about oligonucleotides, ultra-rare diseases, and your newly launched non-profit Enlarum, which was created to provide N-of-1 therapies or custom therapies at no charge to patients with ultra-rare conditions. Maybe we can start with the technology itself. For listeners not familiar with antisense oligonucleotides, what are they and, and how do they work?
1: Antisense technology is a novel technology that uh, Well, I've led the development of it uh, for the last 30 years. Uh, It is a technology that's really quite different from traditional drug discovery technologies in that uh, we use a a chemical class that had never been thought of as uh, being drug molecules before, oligonucleotides that are chemically modified, um, and they are designed to bind to a target or a set of targets that had never been considered drug receptors before, and that's uh, RNA. Um, and they work through and they bind through a, an approach that is well understood and different from what other drugs do, and that's called Watson-Crick hybridization. So that's, uh, to sum it up, it, it, it's a new, totally new chemical class, designed to interact with a set of biological molecules that had never been thought of as being involved in in drug action before, and through mechanisms, uh, and now we have quite a number of mechanisms after they bind uh, uh, that we can use to make it very versatile. To explain it in a little more detail, um, most drugs... Uh, and all the drugs that people are used to taking like your aspirin and your Lipitor and so on come from a single technology that uh, was really uh, began in the intellectual foundation for it was laid in 1900 and that's small molecule drug design and the idea is that you use that you uh, put a little information in a chemical molecule like aspirin and that binds to a protein uh, that is associated with some disease or some problem the patient has, and it alters it. It's been a productive uh, discovery process. Uh, It's fueled the industry for now more than 120 years, but it's also very limited in uh, in, in efficiency. The vast majority of small molecules made fail, and... It's limited because we don't learn from our mistakes. The old adage that change the methyl, you change the drug, is very true. And so every new drug is a new game. And it's very limited in terms of specificity because the information contained is relatively limited in those chemical molecules. Uh, uh, the proteins, of course, that do the work of the cell are made uh, from RNA. And so Anasense drugs are designed to use very specific, the, the very same mechanism that genes use to be specific to retain your information in a, in, a, in a very specific way. We use that information to design ASOs to bind to very specific, unique sequences uh, in specific RNAs. And that then, once that happens, we can design ASOs to work through different kinds of mechanisms that either prevent the production of disease-causing proteins or alter the production of disease or or help promoting proteins. The value of the technology is that it's extraordinarily efficient, particularly as we do it at IONIS since we are the pioneers of this technology and have very much automated systems. And it is uh, more general uh, in that there are almost no undruggable targets for this technology in contrast to small molecules and molecular antibodies, and it's very specific. So it's that combination of attributes that make it feasible to think about tackling the issue of what to do about patients who have a unique mutation that may be they may be the only person in the world with the, the, that particular mutation, or they may be one of a family um, um, with that particular mutation. So <clears throat> the final comment I'd make, Innocence technology is the most direct route from the gene to the patient. We take genetic information, and we use it directly to design our ASOs, um, and, and it's validated and broadly useful, and so it is, A technology when coupled to the advances in genomic diagnosis that lends itself to being able to tackle this very difficult problem.
0: There was a high-profile case of a young girl with an ultra-rare form of Batten disease that Timothy Yu, a neurologist at Boston Children's Hospital, was able to design and treat with a customized ASO therapy. I'm wondering whether that case led to rare disease patients and researchers reaching out to Ionis to attempt similar efforts it did but that's not the genesis
1: of NLOM uh, I've been working on NLOM, um for about two years and if you think through what's necessary to actually try to do what we're going to try to do what we are doing you need these things you need a patient you need uh, a diagnosis you need then a full genomic workup, and you need a qualified clinical investigator who can um, uh, manage a clinical trial with an experimental uh, medicine, uh, and you need a technology that's sufficient enough to to actually rapidly and cost effectively create uh, a, a a bespoke medicine. Um, and so I've known that that our technology is capable of doing that for some time the key step for me was being introduced through a friend and an actual board board member of my to a, a consortium of academic institutions called the Undiagnosed Disease Network the Undiagnosed Disease Network is funded by the NIH and is designed to do exactly the things that I needed to have done which is identify the patient, provide the genomic information, and qualified investigators and institutions to manage the patient. Once I realized that that was present, and now, of course, it's well beyond the UDN, this work is going on in a variety of places, and armed with the technology that, that, that we've developed, uh, from my perspective, it was a moral imperative to, to tackle this. I I, I didn't see any way I could avoid doing it. And where Tim Yu and other experiences have come to play really is um, we helped uh, Tim uh, uh, get the ASOs for not only the patient you're talking about, but another Batten's patient with a different uh, unique mutation. And we've also been involved in helping uh, get ASOs designed for two patients with very aggressive mutations very aggressive forms of uh, uh, ALS. And so while, we, while I was putting the foundation together, we had the benefit of having some experience with, with actually trying to do this or at least help people try to do this. The final piece in, in LORM coming together was to work with the regulatory agencies and were focused in the U.S. initially, so it was the FDA, and so this, during this last year, I spent a good deal of time uh, talking with the senior leadership of the FDA. I was very pleased with their uh, positive and rapid response. And many of the questions I pose really are policy issues, so I didn't expect rapid answers. But I do think we have a, a path uh, that's affordable in, in, in both dollars and time. Many of these patients are desperate, and if, you, if, it's, if you're if you going to take three years or two years or even six months to get them a drug, it may be too late. So it's not just money, it's time. Uh, but I felt that there was a pathway that was available to us. That that even while the FDA is considering the policy issues and developing, you know, its generic approach to this, uh, there was an opportunity for us to do some good. And 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 so on with all that, then it just boiled down to money. And uh, my wife and I uh, Donated some money. Uh, my my Ionis very generously donated some money, and also work in kind. And our colleagues in Baldwin also donated uh, dollars. So that's how it all began. And Tim uh, uh, has been a, a very uh, an ex- a wonderful trailblazer, um, and uh, obviously. Um, uh, he was involved in in along with a good many other people. I guess the final thing I'd say about the beginning of all this is I've been thrilled with the overall response from, uh, of course, I expected it out of the wonderful people at Ionis, but uh, from the FDA, uh, other companies, um, and other, other charitable organizations. So I, I think it's... Um, it's one of those opportunities that has the ring of value and truth to it. And, and, and we're hoping that we can make that a reality.
0: Walk me through the process of how NLARM will decide whether to engage with a, a particular patient or a researcher.
1: Well, um, the process is straightforward, though by no means simple. Uh, the uh, patient Uh, plus uh, physician uh, need to complete a form that's on our website that is a a, 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 um, request for treatment. And and that requires uh, a lot of sophistication because a lot of the information we need is very, very specific about the disease, the genomics, and so on. Uh, that submission comes to Uh It's then uh, blinded as to patient identity, uh, and uh, and then uh, our CTO, our Chief Technical Officer, Frank Bennett, who is of course um, a colleague of mine and and uh, I've worked with for almost forty years now, um, who is the Chief Technical Officer of of N-Lorm. Then takes that information, puts it together, uh, produces a recommendation and, and, and a side set. that so goes to a committee we formed called the Access to Treatment Committee. The Access to Treatment Committee is comprised of physicians, pediatricians, neurologists, geneticists, uh, experts in clinical trials and, and medicine development, so experts in antisense uh, and bioethicists. And that committee then considers uh, the request for treatment. And obviously we have to determine, do we have all the information we need to 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 make uh, uh, the, uh, an experimental ASO? Does the problem that the patient have actually, um, it, can it be solved with our technology? Uh, is the patient uh, severe and do we have an urgent situation on our hands? Um, um, and and a whole set of considerations about whether that patient's appropriate to treat. Ultimately, the Access to Treatment Committee then makes a recommendation to NLORM, and then the NLORM executive team makes the decision. And in fact, uh, I'm very gratified that we already have worked through one uh, request for tr- a treatment that preceded the announcement of the uh, of of, of NLORM, and we received a second already. So uh, that's the process, uh, and um, um, and of course there are many many factors that we'll have to consider in 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 whether a patient is an appropriate patient for enlorn to treat. One of the other gratifying um, events that has happened over the last month as. As rumors of enormous you know, got around in the industry, is they've been very pleased that uh, companies with other technologies have asked, uh, have expressed interest. And of course, the door's wide open if they want to uh, throw in them their their support and their technology, like gene therapy, uh, with us. It would be great. Or if they want to form their own and. And then we work collaboratively with them because our technology is not going to solve everybody's problems. And so, the more technologies and the more uh, folks involved in this, uh, the more people we can we can help. Um, so, um, it, I think we're off to a good start. Obviously, it's early days, and we need to see uh, how effective we'll be in, in, in the coming years. But we're we're, we're looking forward to trying.
0: Compared to traditional drug development, we've seen in the case of of one ASO drugs a remarkable ability to move quickly to dosing a patient. What do you think would be a, a realistic time frame for moving from a target to dosing a, a patient?
1: Well, I, I think it's very different for any place other than Ionis, where we have automated systems in place, and we, 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 you know, we we do this for hundreds of 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 genes, you know, every week or two, right? Uh, but for us, uh, it, it's it's very rapid. The real limiting time and money limit is how much uh, uh, toxicology studies we have to do in animals. That's where the bulk of the time and the bulk of the dollars are spent, and but but you can today we have enough experience with patients who were uh, I think severe uh, that that we've been able to get help people get ASOs into these patients uh, before they succumb to the disease. So think in terms of a few months. Obviously, if someone is progress to the place that they're um, in hospice or something of that nature, that's probably not a patient we're going to be able to get to fast enough. Uh, but but months is an amazing statement. I've been in, in senior positions in this industry for, well, a lifetime now. And even though I knew innocence would be more effective if it worked and more efficient if it worked, I still find it hard to believe that I'm actually doing this, that, that we have a technology that that can actually do this, and we have a regulatory environment that's supportive enough that we can tackle this. So, uh, yes, yeah, nuts. That's a long way. <laughs> I guess I could have answered your question with, with a few nuts, but uh, I guess I like to use too many words. So.
0: Is Dosing quantity and frequency predictable from ASO to ASO? Oh,
1: sure. That's one of the real benefits of of the technology is within a chemical class, all these drugs behave pretty much the same. And that's important because, as as I may have mentioned in our previous uh, chat, uh, now, quite a number of years ago, uh, we initiated putting together integrated safety databases that take all the data that we have in non-human primates and clinical trials, control clinical trials, and integrate those observations. In fact, uh, we've published now three or four papers with those integrated safety databases. So um, being able to know what dose we're going to really need, uh, being able to predict how frequently we have to dose, and having the confidence of those safety databases uh, to tell us what our risks are likely to be, the most likely risk makes makes everything easier, including the risk benefit analysis that we have to do.
0: And what role will IONUS play in this? Well,
1: Ionis is the drug is the drug discovery engine. So the way to think of it is, you can think of of the the, the patient, physician, the EDN, as the front end, identifying the patient, investigator, genomics, and our as the back end, making the drug, and in one as the middleman that brings the need and the information together with the technology that might be able to meet the need of that patient.
0: How much of a hurdle is the regulatory process, and how have you seen the FDA evolve on its attitude towards... And of one therapies. It's an issue, of
1: course. Uh, more importantly, uh, um, I, I think the, making a risk benefit judgment is always the most difficult challenge in our in our industry. And to make a risk benefit judgment when you have a single patient who's desperate um, and you you have limited time is very challenging. So. First of all, it is, it is that risk-benefit judgment that we're all responsible for making. We bring different perspectives. The FDA brings a regulatory perspective, and I bring a scientist-physician perspective. But we're all trying to do the same thing, do the best we can for patients and make sure that the risks that we're taking are all prudent risks. We, there's no such thing as no risk, but our job is to assure prudent risk. Toxicology studies are a part of that process uh, and and they, they require time and they're costly. Uh, so they're a big part of the cost per patient and in in the bulk of the time. and uh, our experience in in helping um, um, Tim and others like Tim get ASOs for these very ultra rare diseases has shown that there is a path that, that the FDA is anxious to find ways to facilitate this within the context of their mandate, which is to protect patients and assure that only proven risks are taken. So the short answer is we have a path, we, we believe. Um, it's it's not as perfectly well defined and generic as we hope it will be in in due course, but we are confident that the FDA is 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 going to be working with us to help that happen, and we're confident that the FDA is thinking deeply about the policy issues that this raises.
0: My sense is that if you're successful at developing uh, an ASO therapy that it's something that will need to be chronically administered over the lifetime of the patient. If that's so, is the expectation that you would manufacture a a lifetime supply all at once and store it, or is this something that would need to be made again and again for each patient? Uh, um,
1: It's one of the challenges. Uh, None of our manufacturing facilities are, of course, built, to make batches, you know, that serve only one patient. <laughs> and so uh, finding solutions to being able to make the minimum, you know, make small amounts is is, is is a peculiar sort of thing for someone in the drug industry because usually you're trying to translate a process that works on a small scale to a large scale. Having said that, um, we... Uh, 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 we know that these agents are extremely stable. Uh, we have prolonged dating on them and uh, so so that's a big plus for us. Uh, and so um, our sense is that even making the smallest batches that we can make, that will be several years supply for a patient and to go back and make some, some more if, if, if we run out of stability data and that, that sort of thing won't be very expensive. We can do it.
0: How many patients do you expect to be able to handle at a time?
1: I don't have any idea. <laughs> I, you know, that's the nature of doing things for the first time. Um, uh, we, 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 right now I'm trying to uh, work with various vendors to bring the cost per patient way down. And, and of course, we're raising money. And so a big determinant of how many patients we can help at a time will be financial. Uh, and, and so I've been gratified by the level of interest that we're just beginning. Um, we don't know what the demand will be. We think it may be high. I, I, I just don't know yet. Um, it, it will be a function of demand. You know, the number of people that we have right now, we have a single paid employee. And I want to keep it, I want to earn every dollar to go to
0: the patient if I can. Uh, And it will be a function of how much money we can raise. Is there any sense what it would cost to take a patient from start to finish on delivering a, a custom ASO therapy? And do you think there are opportunities to reduce cost as you go
1: well sure I, I wouldn't have done this without a good sense of how much it was going to cost per patient but i don't want to get into that cost it, it, it's affordable and the two main components of the cost are top studies and manufacturing and to the extent that we can reduce those costs um, um
0: then we can treat more patients and that's what I, and that's what i'm working on now Stanley Crook, founder and CEO of Enlarm Foundation and executive chairman of Ionis Pharmaceuticals. Stanley, thanks as always.
1: I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it and uh, wish me luck. Uh, uh, We know that we're we're tackling a a complex issue and we look forward to um, reporting our successes as well as the disappointments that we experience.